Hi. If you just flick over to page 989, I'm going to be reading from John chapter 11. I'm going to start by reading the first three verses of the chapter, and then we're going to skip down and read verses 17 to 44. So hopefully that aligns with what's on the screen. Yes. Right, so that's page 989, John chapter 11. Now a man was sick, Lazarus, from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, and it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sisters sent a message to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. Down to verse 17. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been there, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now, I know that whatever you ask from God... God will give you. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die, ever. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who comes into the world. Having said this, she went back and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. As soon as she heard this, she got up and quickly went to him. Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw that Mary got up quickly and went out. So they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to cry there. When Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was angry in his spirit and deeply moved. Where have you put him? He asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, Couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, angry in himself again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, he's already decaying. It's been four days. Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this, so they might believe you sent me. After he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, bound hand and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Pastors here, if I haven't met you before, I'm Dan, if you missed that bit, too quiet, whatever. Hi, Dan. Good to see you. Uh, We're on week two of a four-week series on uh, questions for God. Uh, Last week, we had a question about the scriptures. How can you pin uh, so much on a book that's so full of contradiction and fiction? This week, the question is, uh, why is there so much evil and hatred in the world? 
Uh, in the following weeks, uh, we'll be asking uh, questions uh, week four on is God anti-gay? And week three is why does God not answer my prayers? Uh, but for this week, we're asking this important question. But why don't you pray with me as we come to God's word? Father, we uh, want to thank you so much that you give us your word, um, that you're not a God who's remained uh, at a distance, but you've made yourself known in your son uh, and through your word. And we pray now that you'd be at work among us through your word uh, and by your spirit, that we might really understand the world a little better and that we might respond to you uh, and to this world uh, as we ought to. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not quite sure how this question is, is quite... Uh, coming, it's hard sometimes to answer a question that's been written on a page. I'm not sure, is it, is it the kind of person who's uh, got an academic, you know, wants to disprove the existence of God? You know, how can there be a God if there's like evil and hatred in the world? How can God be good and powerful? I'm not sure. It sounds more to me like it's a bit different to that. It sounds much more desperate. It sounds to me like the kind of, someone has really faced up to the reality of evil and hate in this world, actually, and is calling out to God, what's going on? You know, why is it so, God? Why don't you stop the evil? What? Why? They're looking for an explanation. I hope if you're here this evening and this afternoon, you've got this question, that that's the way you're asking the question. Not as a dispassionate, kind of removed academic exercise, but truly, real life. Because we know this in real life, don't we? We know evil. We know hatred in our own existence. For some of you, very, very well. Um, For some of you, this is a very real question. Um, But even if you haven't experienced really significant evil and hatred in this world, you know it. You know, we all know it. Because evil doesn't like just the headlines. Evil likes to get its tentacles into every mundane little corner of our lives and make the background buzz sound of Difficulty, trial, pain. And so we rightly ask this question, God, why is there so much evil and hatred in the world? It ought not to be like this, God. It shouldn't be like this. Do you have that sense? Do you have that sense like it shouldn't be like this? It ought not to be like that? Is that you? Is it just me? We've got this kind of sense, which is interesting, I think. It's interesting we've got a sense of how it ought to be against which we know it shouldn't be like this. I think atheism can't actually provide that ought, can it? There's no room for an ought to be in atheism. But this is a question that comes from some kind of faith, little as it might be. But there's some kind of faith that asks this question, why is it so? So why is it so? What's the answer? Why? Well, the answer is actually uh, the Bible story. I'm sorry if you're hoping for a one-line answer. You're not going to get it tonight. Um, it's, it's the story of the gospel is actually the answer to this. The story of Jesus. Um, I used to think that the Bible was a big old book about how I can go to heaven when I die. And over on the side here was this other issue called the problem of evil. You know, what's, what's there with the evil thing in the world? And I was like, oh, that's another problem out here. It's not, actually. They're one and the same story. The story of the Bible is the story of how God's beautiful world was hijacked by evil, but he is wrestling it back, redeeming it, restoring it, and bringing it to glory, and how I am caught up in that. 
I'm a small part of the story. That's the Bible story. Any kind of one-line answer you might give to this question, there's plenty of them, any one-line answer has to fit into that bigger story, the story of Jesus, the story that's splashed right over the pages of the Bible in, in, in big, long ways and also in lots of little snippets. And we're going to look at one little snippet this afternoon. That is the story from John 11, the story of Jesus' mate Lazarus and his sisters Mary and Martha. And we're going to see a few, we'll learn a few things about God and about evil and hatred. And the first thing we'll learn is this. Our God joins us in the experience of evil. It's a really terrible scene in John 11. Isn't it really painful? Um, but it's, it's the kind of scene that our world knows only too well. Um, we've got these precious relationships have been shattered. Really good things have been ruined. There is loss and grief and tears and questions because Lazarus is dead, too young. The sisters are all alone. Their beloved brother is gone. Verse 5, we're told that Jesus loved this family very dearly. So when he arrived in town, they, they come out to meet him. Verse 32, Mary arrives and she's a complete mess. She just falls at his feet and she's bawling. She looks up at him and her, her eyes are just kind of all puffy and, and red from the tears. And those who've come with her are weeping as well. But this is the kind of scene our world knows very well. This happens all the time, this kind of thing. And my question is, where is God in this scene? It's a very important question. Where is God in this kind of scene that our world knows so well? Where is he? Is he off at a distance, kind of aloof, disconnected on his happy little cloud, living in bliss? Is that right? That's what a lot of people think of God. He doesn't know my pain. He doesn't know what I'm going through. He's off over there on a cloud. But that's not right, is it? Because when we're reading the story of Jesus, we're reading the story of God. Jesus is God in the flesh. Where is he in this scene? He's right there. He's right there in it, isn't he? In the midst of the pain, in the midst of the suffering, he's right there with them. He didn't stay at a distance. Look at verse 33 with me. Verse 33, when Jesus saw Mary crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was angry in his spirit and deeply moved. Where have you put him? He asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. Jesus wept. As Jesus saw the tears in their faces, he joined their chorus of sobs with his own divine tears. Can you imagine? These, these are God's tears as he sees what's become of his world in the grip of evil, in the grip of death. God knows evil. He mourns it. But I wonder, is that your vision of God? Is that what you think of when you think of God? When you ask that question, God, why is the world so full of evil and hatred? Who is the God you're addressing that to? Is he like this? Is, the God, is he the God who's actually joined us in the experience of evil and hatred in the world? Because this is the God of the Bible. And I'll tell you, I find great comfort in that. 
We read in verse 33 how Jesus was angry in his spirit and deeply moved. I think there's another reason why he's that. And that is because as he sees Lazarus's death, he can't help but think of his own. Right the way through this story, John's telling of Jesus' life, um, the shadow of the cross seems to be just around every corner. It's, it's right there. And here it is very close. Because uh, you see, Jesus has come to Bethany. It's a town that's about 3K from Jerusalem. And in just a few weeks, Jesus is going to go to Jerusalem, be rejected, beaten, mocked, tortured, and killed. Why? Well, I want to give you two reasons why Jesus is going to die. And the first reason is our evil and hate. Look down with me at verse uh, 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees convened the Sanhedrin, the big council, and said, What are we going to do since this man does many signs? If we let him continue in this way, everyone will believe in him. Then the Romans will come and remove both our place and our nation. So let's look again. Verse 47, the chief priests, they get the Sanhedrin together and they say, What are we going to do since this man does many signs? I've got a suggestion. Believe in him crazy idea. He does many signs, believe in him, he's God, bow down. No, no, we couldn't do that. Verse 48, if we let him continue in this way, everyone will believe in him. Who's going to follow us? Everyone will go after him. Who's going to follow us? Selfishness. Then the Romans will come and remove both our place and our nation. Fear. What will happen to us? And so driven by this lack of faith and this fear and this selfishness, 53, verse 53, from that day on, they plotted to kill him. Friends, that's why Jesus died. Because people failed to trust in him. Therefore, they were filled with fear. And because of the fear, they acted selfishly and killed him. You know what, friends? Here's the cool bit. Not. We're the same. We're the same kind of people as the people who put Jesus to death. We're meant to trust God. We were made to trust our maker and live in complete security. Like, you know, sometimes you see that child who feels so safe and secure in their parents' love that they can just enjoy themselves and just not worry about life and and forget themselves. That's meant to be us, but it's not. We fail to trust our God. And so we're fearful. We're full of insecurities. It might be quite background for some of us or even subconscious. We might try to cover it up, but it's there. When we're not grounded in the love and acceptance of our maker and judge, there's there's fear, there's insecurity. And because of that, we act in selfishness. We try to look after ourselves if we're not sure about God. We look after ourselves. This is where evil comes from, friends. This is where the hatred starts. Our selfishness, our fears, our lack of trust. And that manifests manifests itself in everything, doesn't it? From the international crisis 
through to the thoughtless word in the office. That's where it comes from, in here. G.K. Chesterton was a, a, famous, a famous English writer in the early 20th century. He was once asked by a London newspaper uh, to comment on the question, what is wrong with the world? And so he wrote back to them in his letter and said, Dear sirs, I am, sincerely yours, G.K. Chesterton, I am the problem with this world. I am. You are. Why is the world so filled with evil and hate? Because it's filled with people. I've been dealing with um, a, a couple whose marriage has broken down recently. And the struggle is n- neither of them want to admit any fault. They're just like, oh, it's his fault. It's her fault. Can't, can't get forward. You can't move, move forward at all with that. Friends, until we recognize that the evil and hate start in here, we can't move forward either. The Bible is a good doctor for us at this point. It tells us we've got a sickness in here. We need help. I wonder if you're willing to acknowledge, accept the diagnosis. Because there is help available. And that takes us to reason two of why Jesus died. He didn't just die as a victim of our hate and our evil against him. He died as a hero to rescue us from our evil and hate. So look with me at verse 49. We're still in the big council, the Sanhedrin. One of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. You're not considering that it is to your advantage that one man should die for the people rather than the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation. Jesus didn't just die because he was a victim of us. He died for us, in our place, in our stead. Friends, because of the way we have rejected God, failed to trust him, We deserve death. We deserve rejection from God for the way we've rejected him. But, just as Caiaphas put it, one man died for the people, for us. Jesus died in our place, took the punishment that we deserved. We hated him. He loved us. We wanted him out of our lives. He wouldn't have it. He chased us down. So that, friends, this is the result, so that despite our evil, our hatred, that doesn't stand between us and God anymore. It's been removed, out of the way, forgiven. So that we don't need to be selfish anymore. We've got no reason to be selfish. We don't need to fear anymore. We've got no reason for fear. We've got every reason to trust This God, who saw us in our sin, who saw where we were heading, and yet came down from glory into our experience, joined us, took our evil and hate upon himself, took it for us, so that we could know God's forgiveness, acceptance, and love. That's the story of Jesus. That's the answer to our question. But it doesn't quite end there. There's one more bit that we have to talk about before we end because it doesn't just end there. Finally, our God overcomes evil. 
and gives us hope. Let, let's get back to Lazarus. We've left Lazarus lying in his tomb for far too long. He wants to get out. So let's get back there. And um, Jesus turns up, doesn't he? He turns up at the tomb and he says, roll the stone away. And Martha, who appears to be uh, the kind of rational thinking one, says, uh, excuse me, hold on a second. Um, he's been in there four days, a bit smelly. He smelled bad enough when he was alive. We don't want to go there, you know? The old translation said, he stinketh. I like that. But Jesus says, no, roll the stone away. And they do. And Jesus calls out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And you can just, you can, I kind of, I'd, I'd love to have been there. I imagine the people kind of thinking, uh, Jesus, he's, you know, he's it's a bit awkward, really. He's dead. But Jesus just keeps looking at the tomb and sees this shadowy figure step forward, kind of feeling his way. Lazarus, alive again. And he says, unwrap him. Let him go. You see, Jesus didn't just come to Mary and Martha and join them in their experience of evil. He did something about it. He can do something about it. He lifts them out of it. Friends, Jesus doesn't just come into our world and kind of stand beside us and join us in our experience. He lifts us up out of it. You see, just like Lazarus's death was kind of a foretaste of Jesus' death, Lazarus's resurrection is a foretaste of Jesus' resurrection. Three days after he died, Jesus rose again with a new body. A body that could never be touched again by evil and hatred. Renewed, new. And he invites us, you, me, to join him in that. To join him in new life. He tells us how in verse 25. He's talking to Martha and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. There is life beyond death. There is hope beyond evil. There is love beyond the hatred. That is our hope. That one day our world will be transformed to be like Jesus' transformed body. Untouchable by evil. Untouchable by hatred. John writes later, this will be a time when he wipes away every tear. Death will no longer exist. Crying, grief, pain will be no more because the way things currently are over finished evil hatred gone things will be as they ought to be it's not just a vague hope friends this is the resurrection of jesus it's concrete that's our hope well let me let me just quickly conclude and press this home a little bit uh, why is the world so filled with evil and hate. Well, in some ways, we could just say it like this, because it's filled with people like you and me. I wonder if you're able to see that in yourself. But that's just part of the story. The story is much bigger. It's the story of God's victory over evil and hatred. Uh, the way that he uh, lays the evil and hatred on Jesus, who takes it for us and then rises to new life. It's the story of how God joins us. Do you know that? Do you know that that's our God who joins you in your experience of evil and hatred? That's, that's the God of the Bible. It's the story we've been hearing that though, although we are evil, he has forgiven us. 
loved us, we have assurance of his acceptance. Did you know that? Do you rejoice in that? Have you accepted that for yourself? It's the story of how God is offering a brand new life, a new hope, a new future. Do you have that hope? Do you hold on to it? I was talking with a guy today who just, just finds life hard. Doesn't want, to, doesn't want the life he has. And we talked about our need to cling on to this hope. It's true. It's real. Friends, I'm not sure how satisfying an answer I've given you to this question. Um, but do you know what? Um, I'm not sure how much it matters. I'm not sure how much it matters that we understand evil. What is important is this, that we trust Jesus and we do something about evil. You know, actually do something about it. In 1755, there was a huge earthquake in Lisbon. And uh, Voltaire wrote a famous poem afterwards lambasting the Christians because they seemed more interested in figuring out why it happened than actually doing anything. Tranquil spectators, intrepid spirits, contemplating the shipwreck of your dying brothers, you search in peace for the causes of the storm. Tranquil spectators. This must not be us. Friends, Jesus has joined us in our experience of evil. He's taken it upon himself, taken it down to hell, and risen to give us new life. And he said, share that with me. If you want to share in that with him, it means sharing in his fight against evil. Practically. The fight against the evil in your own heart. The fight against evil in the world. It means doing good and committing yourself to doing that. It's no one else's job. It's our job. When we see evil, hatred, suffering, it's our job to do something about it. At the very least, to pray. This is the job of Christians. That's what we've always done. Not very well at times. We've only got our training wheels on, but that's what we do. And so that's where I want to end today, friends. I want to end with that. Yes, the world is full of evil and hatred. Partly it's because of us. Yes, we can trust in our God who is with us, who has taken the evil for us, and who gives us hope. So trust in that, and let's get to work to do good and not evil. I'm going to pray for us and commit us to the Lord. Father, we have known the sharp pang of evil and hatred against us in this world. Uh, some of us more than others. Um, but we mourn it, Lord. We, we, uh, we hate it. We don't want it. And we're so thankful that we're not alone in that. God, we're so thankful that you have joined us in it and you have grieved over it. But more than that, that you have done something about it. God, we're so thankful that you haven't just wiped out all evil because that would mean wiping us out. Thank you for your mercy that instead of that, you have wiped out your son in our place. We thank you for your love. We thank you so much for the forgiveness that is there. And we thank you for the hope we have because you raised him again. 
You gave him life again. And we thank you for allowing us to share in that hope. Father, I do pray for those here who, for whom this is a really real question, a really hard question. Please help them to look to Jesus. Please help them to find answers in him. And for all of us, Lord, by your spirit, help us to walk with Jesus. In hope, against evil, seeking what is good for the sake of your glory and the good of this world. Amen.